And understanding that ADHD is a developmental disorder. It's a developmental delay. Your child with ADHD in many aspects, but certainly not all, could be two to three years behind their calendar age, behind their same age peers. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit adhdessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting on editing this episode. You can learn more about his work at idealvideostrategies.com, but you probably already knew that. Just a quick reminder about our big news that I will be doing a live episode of the ADHD Essentials podcast at the Commonwealth Learning Center in Needham, Massachusetts. That live episode will take place on November 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. The first half of the evening will feature me interviewing my friend Lolly Weeks about her journey from ADHD mom to ADHD coach. And the second half will be Lolly and I doing a live Q&A for those in attendance. Email info at comlearn.com to RSVP and let them know you heard about it on the podcast. And a little more big news. I will be part of the 2019 Parenting Autism Summit. It starts November 4th and runs online for four days. The summit is hosted by today's guest, Penny Williams, and my workshop, Working With and Improving Executive Functioning Deficits, will help round out the event on November 7th. Register using the link in the show notes. And I still owe you one more bonus episode, which will be coming out next week. That's right. Next week, in honor of ADHD Awareness Month, you'll be getting two episodes. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Penny Williams of Parenting ADHD and Autism. Penny is a luminary in the field of ADHD. Her son's ADHD diagnosis sent her on a journey from needing help to providing it. She's written four award-winning books on the subject and offers services like mom retreats and coaching for parents in need. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to her, and I'm very glad we've connected. In today's episode, we talk about Penny's journey as a mom of an ADHD son both from the beginning straight till today. We also discussed the importance of parent mindset and how it can affect the emotional well-being of our homes, the gaps between ability and output, and being a survivor. All right, let's get rolling. Ultimately, I'm a mom of a child with ADHD and autism. Um, he was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of six, 11 years ago. Then with the additional diagnosis of autism at age 12, just being this mom in the trenches and really struggling to find guidance, specific guidance to ADHD and parenting, I started writing. I started blogging when he was diagnosed and um, people found me and had this tribe building, you know, all of these parents who felt like I did really alone and isolated and didn't know what to do. And, um, that led to books and which led to online courses and retreats and speaking and all sorts of things. So 
you know, having this kid actually led me to a whole different career path than a whole business in regards to helping parents with ADHD and autism um, in their families. One of the things you champion, and I'm sure it comes as a result of your journey, and I'd love to sort of play with both sides of that, is parent mindset. So how did you come to your perspective on parent mindset and what is that perspective? Um, I came to it the really long, hard way. And perspective is that I am in control of how things go in our families. And I am in control of how things go for the most part for my son. And what I mean by that is the way that I think about ADHD, autism, special needs, the struggle and challenge of that dictates my attitude, my presence in the family and in the house, and that dictates how my son is going to kind of walk this journey with ADHD and autism. So if I am very upset about it, I'm always angry or sad or depressed or even always talking about challenges, talking about ADHD, that brings a really black cloud over everyone, over the whole household. And I started in that place. I started for two years. I was completely obsessed with ADHD. I talked about nothing else. I gave up work time, which I was in a different career at that point, to research, to obsessively look for answers. I was in fix-it mode, mom fix-it mode. And fix-it mode doesn't work for ADHD. There's nothing to fix in that way. You know, we're programmed as parents to want to, you know, hug our kids, put a Band-Aid on the boo-boo and have it get fixed, have it go away. And ADHD is not that kind of challenge. And so it took me a really long time of a ton of effort and very little progress to realize that I was going around about it the the total opposite way from what I should, a, a way that was completely um, unsuccessful. It was never going to be successful looking for a fix. Um, for example, I would look for how do I get my kid to sit still at carpet time at school? How do I get my child to um, pay attention? You know, I was looking to fix all the symptomology and what I finally realized was that that was his brain. This is the kid that I have and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be changed there. What I needed to do was change myself, change my parenting approach, change my thoughts, change my mindset. That was what was going to make a difference and it absolutely did. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed with the parents that I work with is some of them almost see ADHD like it's the enemy. Mm -hmm. And it's a really short leap from ADHD being the enemy to your kid being the enemy. Yes. And so that parent mindset of shifting the perspective of ADHD is not the enemy. It just is what it is. And yeah, we want to help our kid work more effectively within the sandbox that they've been given. Right. But if we look at it as something that needs to be fixed, as opposed to something that really more needs to be managed, um, then all of a sudden our kid needs to be fixed and, and our, our, we're having, we're changing and affecting our relationship with our child. Yeah, totally. And 
you know, our, our kids are sponges too. And the people around us are sponges. If you think about um, a friend or a colleague or a family member who's kind of Debbie Downer and how much they kind of drain your energy when you're around them. That's what we're doing to our kids when we're always really under that weight of this is bad. I need to fix it. My child's struggling. What do I do? You know, when we're really walking around under that cloud, we're giving off that energy. We are, you know, giving them also the idea that that's how you deal with hard things, that you get angry or you shut down or, you know, you talk about nothing else but what's hard. And none of those things are really effective life strategies, right? Right. Yeah. They're super hard and we just have to change our mindset about what's hard. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I often wonder about being a parent at, we're probably ish around the same age, um, is the role the internet is playing in all of this. Mm -hmm. Because it used to be that you, you have a kid with ADHD and you're like, I don't know, whatever the teacher tells me, right? Because that's kind of the most you can do unless you're sort of at the next tier academic sort of college professor and you have those resources for research. But now everybody has those level, that level of research potential. So the drive to learn everything you can about ADHD, which is a totally solid strategy, but also the way that that can weigh on you if you don't have that parent mindset of I'm learning this stuff so I can find strategies and understand my kid better, as opposed to I have to know everything about ADHD. It's the only way to crack this nut. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a never ending stream of information out there. It may not be valid information. You know, if you dig long enough, you are going to find skeptics, you're going to find conspiracy theorists, you know, medicine is evil, it's big pharma, you're going to find all of that stuff. And then that's going to weigh even heavier because now you're setting in with the guilt. Um, you know, I absolutely teach parents to research and understand ADHD. But what's more important than that is understanding your child. How does ADHD affect them? What other effects does it have besides just inattention, impulsivity, hyperactivity? Because there are a ton. And I wrote a whole book about it, actually, my last book, um, you know, the hidden aspects of ADHD, because underneath that iceberg, that underwater portion of the iceberg is humongous. And there's so much there that really is, that affects our kids more, I think, than what's at the top, that inattention and impulsivity and hyperactivity, you know, we see those very clearly on the surface. And it's really easy to get sucked into trying to manage those when there's all of these other aspects that are really even more impactful, like the emotional piece, the executive functioning piece. The time awareness. The time blindness, time awareness, the, um, you know, social aspects. It's even if your child has good social skills as a kid with ADHD, they can be very overwhelming to other kids. It can still be very hard for them to, to make solid, real, meaningful connections. You know, there's so many other things that we don't even think about because we're not told to. And that was part of what drove me to really dive into this work more was this information wasn't 
you know, coming to the top. When parents are looking for how do I help my kid, they're seeing, well, medication for um, symptomology and accommodations for symptomology, but they weren't getting all of this other so important information. Yeah. And the skill building side of it. It's all well and good to have your kid take ADHD medication so they can focus better in school, but there's skills to be built around how to study, around how to use a calendar, if they're old enough for that to matter, how to make friends even. All of that stuff is skills, and we need to make sure that our kids are learning it. One of the areas that I like to talk about with ADHD um, as a skill that a lot of people don't think of it as is charisma and personality and the ability to interact with folks, right? People often talk about how people with ADHD, you just like them. They're just really charismatic. That isn't because of ADHD in a way that you might think. My social skills are absolutely a result of my ADHD, but it's a side effect. It's not a symptom or a trait of ADHD. It's because growing up, I kept making mistakes and then I had to talk to adults to figure out how to get forgiven for those mistakes or how to get an ex extension on that essay or whatever. And as a result, I had way more social conversations with people in power over me. Yeah. That taught me how to navigate their needs and desires and emotions and that stuff. Because often they were mad at me and I had to quell those, that anger and then go into what I wanted. So my social skills are absolutely the result of repeated practice over the course of decades. Yeah. And, and of course, that has some side effects too about me sort of listening to people in power more than I should have growing up and stuff because I was so often coming from a defensive place with that. But those, that's a skill too. And we need to look at all of, all of the ADHD stuff that kids struggle with or are good at as skills because then we can build them and help them grow. That, I think that's a critical mindset piece in here too. Yeah, and understanding that ADHD is a developmental disorder. It's a developmental dis delay. Your child with ADHD in many aspects, but certainly not all, could be two to three years behind their calendar age, behind their same age peers. Um, I didn't learn that until probably three years into my son's diagnosis. And how impactful that would have been had somebody said that to me originally, right? I would have understood much better. And that's what, you know, I push parents to do. You have to do this deep dive on your individual child to figure out where they are in different aspects and meet them where they are. You know, if you have a nine-year-old and all of your expectations of your child are of a nine-year-old, but they have ADHD and in a lot of those areas, their functioning is really more a six or seven year old, then your expectations need to adjust. And when you don't adjust them, then you're frustrated, maybe angry, maybe freaking out that your child is never going to, you know, be able to function on their own. And your child is also feeling like they can never uh, meet expectations, which has its own consequences for them. Um, but when you look at, okay, in this area, say time management, my child is really only six. Um, we haven't built the skills yet and worked on the skills yet to get to, you know, same age functioning in that area, your expectations are going to shift and your expectations are going to become doable for your child. 
And kids with ADHD need those wins. They need you to build opportunities for success, for wins, in order to maintain some sort of positivity and drive to keep trying and pushing because they're working so much harder than their peers. And they're still not succeeding when our expectations are of their calendar age instead of their developmental age. Right. Yeah. And that's where, that's where like the video game drama comes in, right? The kids that would rather play video games than do almost anything else. Some of that is that video games are always challenging us at just the right level. They meet us where we are. Yes. And the real world doesn't meet us where we are. So video games are more comfortable and feel safer. And we have to start, I'm completely with you. We have to start meeting our kids where they are and recognizing that ADHD is developmental. Yeah. And it's, it's our responsibility. You know, I talk a lot about figuring out what is your main goal. So as a parent for my son, my main goal is that he has success and happiness in his life. And for that success and happiness, I have to define that in relation to who he is, not societal's expectation of success and of what makes us happy, but what are those definitions for him? And then it's so much easier to accept differences, accept that his journey to get there is different, to you know, work through the challenges in a more effective way when I'm looking at, okay, this is the goal, success and happiness, and this is what that looks like for him. Um, for instance, for us personally, four-year university, traditional four-year, straight out of high school, is not appropriate for my son. It just isn't. His level of executive functioning deficit, his um, learning disability dysgraphia, it's just not an appropriate next step for him. And so we have been looking at, because now he's a junior in high school, he turned 17 yesterday, and we're looking at, okay, what is the next step? What is the appropriate next step to get him to where he wants to be? Um, he's talking about doing sound engineering because he has been creating his own music digitally for a couple of years now. He found that certain beats, heavy beats actually, um, are calming to his brain and they shut out all the other noise. Awesome. And so he started creating this stuff for himself and found that he's really into music and now he's constantly listening to music. And so we said, okay, what can you do with this? right? For, for a job, for a career to get you where you want to go. And sound engineering was one of those ideas. And so we've been exploring, okay, how do you get a job in sound engineering? How do you get the, the skills and the education that you need? And it does not require a four-year degree. So why would we go there when we know that it's going to be super challenging and he's not even willing right now. We're just slogging trying to get to a high school diploma at this point. So now we're looking at, okay, there's plenty of certification options for sound engineering. There are anywhere from six month programs to two year programs. So now we're looking at, okay, what does that look like? What do we need to do to set him on the path to be successful at that? When is the appropriate time to do that? Um, you know, there's so many different questions that come up, but 
the point is by looking at who he is, where he is right now, what his goals are, we're able to define a path that will work for him. We're giving him opportunities that are doable and that still lead to success and happiness, just not, you know, the societal definition of what that looks like. Awesome. Yeah, we we just had a similar experience with my kids. Um, they're in band. They just started middle school. They started band at the beginning of the year and they do not like it. They're just, they're not enjoying it. It's not a thing that brings them any level of feeling of accomplishment or, or motivation. And a component of it is that they have to go back to school for lessons at four o'clock. So every Tuesday they would get home at 3.15 and then basically we would leave and go back to school because that was the timing of the bus and, and stuff, but they don't like it. So we, this week took them out of band because it doesn't make sense. And, and we're pretty careful about communicating to them. Like there's times when it's okay to quit something because it just isn't working. And there's times when you just have to slog through it, even though it's hard. So we had a conversation about, yeah, you're going to, you're going to get to quit band, but you're going to have to do other stuff that is hard. Just, it's just not going to be banned. Right. Right. Cause there's sort of two levels of band that were hard for them. One is the practice side of stuff, which my belief is everybody with ADHD struggles with practice. There might, I might be wrong. I might one day meet somebody who has ADHD that doesn't have trouble practicing, but I haven't, hasn't happened yet. With the exception of the people who hyper-focus into whatever they're practicing, that can help. But there's the practice side. And then there's also, my kids are having a little anxiety around school. So going back to school was anxiety inducing as well as just kind of obnoxious in general. So I was like, well, you got to, we got to navigate both the anxiety part of things that are hard and also the practice part of things that are hard. So we're going to the dojo three times as often as we were. They were going once a week. Now they go three times a week. That's practice. Um, And then for the, it's hard to navigate school when you don't have to be there. They've been signed up for ski club. So they'll be skiing through the school and there's like three or four socials that they now have to go to. And that's, kind of the best I can do to help them navigate that side of the anxiety piece. But also those are things that are social and fun and foster some independence because I'm not going to be there and mom's not going to be there. That hopefully pays off in the long run that they might've fought harder against if we hadn't pulled them out of band. So I completely am with you on it. Sometimes you got to adjust to where your kids are at. Yeah. And, and to not think of it as quitting, to think of it as honoring who you are, knowing what works for you and doesn't work advocating for yourself and taking a different path. You know, there's times that all of us as adults have to do that. We have to figure out sometimes things just aren't worth it. And what can we do differently? Um, And finding that interest piece is the really big key there. Once they're super interested, they are not going to want to quit that, you know, it's now working for them and they will be more um, into it. They will be more willing. For us, it took a really long time to find that thing. Like I said, it was two years ago that he just happened to start doing this on his iPad, creating this digital music. Um, We had tried music many times before that and it didn't stick. He likes to play drums and we had a traditional drum set in our house for at least seven years, neither kid played it. We got him electronic drums a few weeks ago. He plays those. It was a sensory issue. 
traditional drums were super loud and super painful really to him. Um, electronic drums, he can control the volume, he can put on headphones, he can play them whenever he wants at whatever volume feels comfortable to him and that works for him. Um, but it took us a really long time to even think about that. You know, we thought, well, he's just not interested in playing the drums. That wasn't it at all. You know, you really have to look at a lot of different aspects. And again, it goes back to that knowing who your child is. Do they have sensory issues? Do they have time management issues? What is their executive functioning look like? You know, where are they developmentally in so many different places? Where are they emotionally? You know, it's hard to grow up as a kid with ADHD in a neurotypical world where you're constantly getting these messages that you're not doing it right or you're not successful. Um, you're not able to do what your same age peers all around you are doing and you don't understand why, you know, all of these things are super, super hard and can really affect our kids' mental health too. And that has to come into play. You know, personal story again, this year, my son started his junior year in high school. He immediately started having trouble. Um, and usually we've had a honeymoon period and I actually just had a podcast episode on my own podcast about the honeymoon period. We had no honeymoon period this year. It was immediately bad, super bad, not going to school. And we've, we've had school avoidance for years since he was in fourth grade. So that wasn't new to us, but the, the occurrence, the frequency of it was much more um, intense. Um, he was coming out of the school building every day, super angry. And he was talking about how there's really no purpose to life. Um, he was starting to be depressed and he's never been depressed in his whole life that we have seen. And so the question became, how do we do this? Like, okay, we had to ask, what is our main goal mm -hmm. that he graduates from high school? That's our current goal, right? And so we then have to think about how do we get there? How do we do it in a way that's successful for him and that doesn't cause such mental and emotional anguish. Um, and he was already doing two classes in person at school, two classes online at home. We've been doing that since the second half of his freshman year because he could not handle this big high school environment all day, every day. He just couldn't handle it. And so now we were, you know, in the point where that arrangement had been really successful and really helpful. And now that's not working either. Um, and it came to a point where, you know, he was saying, I just want to drop out of school. I don't see a point, you know, and, and thankfully he's in therapy. We had just found a great therapist a few months before. So we had a lot of support around this um, thinking that, you know, what's the point? Um, thank goodness, because that's pretty scary as a parent to hear your kid go, I don't see the point anymore. You live and then you die. What's the point? You know, that's a scary place to be as a parent with your kid. And, and so finally, it came to a head where we said, okay, do you need to just not go to school in person anymore? Because dropping out isn't an option. You know, we said this is not an option right now. So what do we do? How do we come up with something together that's going to work for you? You're going to be able to, you know, push through it and persevere, but we're going to honor, you know, the struggle. And we came up with, you know, doing all school online at home, which has been 
an enormous challenge for me. This has been a super hard um, start to the school year for our whole family because of that, that mood in the house, that fear for him and where he was emotionally and, you know, being responsible now for all school at home, which has been super hard because, you know, he has ADHD. He's not just going to sit down and do four classes on his own and do well and take his time. It's just not you know, who he is. And so, you know, it's been hard and it's been ever changing. And even for, you know, parents like you and I, who are entrenched in this, we, um, you know, know a lot more probably about ADHD. We coach other parents and yet we still have challenges too. You know, it's the nature of the beast, but it's all about really sitting back and saying, who is my child? What are the challenges? What are the strengths? And what can we do to help him get towards or her that goal, that broad goal that we're not going to define by what other people tell us, but we're going to define by who our kid is. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry to hear that things have been as challenging as they have been this year, but I'm, but I'm glad that, yeah, you've grown and you seem like you've got a, at least a workable solution, even if it's not as great as you might like it to be, but there, it sounds like there's space to grow into it as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm trying to take it one day at a time. Okay. Today we're going to do our four classes. If we get all four classes in today, it's a good day. It's, you know, he hasn't said, no, I'm just not doing school anymore. You know, he's still engaged. We're still pushing toward forward toward that high school diploma. You know, we're still, and you know, it'd be really easy for me to fall apart. And honestly, I did fall apart for a day. I did have a day where I just completely emotionally fell apart. I had told myself that this was a possibility for a long time. We, you know, my husband and I had talked about how we're okay with this, if this is what needs to happen months before this happened, but it still kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I sat with the emotion, I dealt with the emotion, and then I said, okay, I'm prepared to keep moving forward what do we need to do you know i took that day and i was human that day you know we we have to be really i think transparent because i have so many people that will say to me especially on social media well you know you have totally figured out parenting an adhd kid you have this all together i'm like whoa that's not true (laughs) (laughs) that is not at all true you know we we um kind of meet one challenge and we feel like we're doing really well and then something else is going to pop up because life has changed all the time especially when you're a kid you know our kids are constantly changing but even as adults I mean I am a much different person today than five years ago than 10 years ago you know and so we're constantly changing and we have to recognize as parents that when we hit that really good, smooth sailing spot, there are rough patches still. It's just the nature of life and it's especially the nature of raising kids with ADHD. But, and what works really well for me is to again, back up and say, okay, what is the goal? It doesn't matter what it looks like that journey to get to that goal and achieve that goal, but what is really the goal? And the goal isn't A's and B's because that's pretty unrealistic for my kid, even though he has a gifted IQ because his functioning um, does not 
meet the same level as his intelligence. He's off the chart with intelligence. He's off the chart with verbal fluency. But if you ask him to write an essay, forget it. Like I have to sit and help with every word and every everything. And the output is a real struggle for him. And that asynchronous development, I think, creates even more of these challenges like what we're going through because he starts to feel like he's not smart and he isn't capable. And that's really, you know, kind of came to a head. And while I understand that teachers in schools are dealing with kind of a lack of knowledge um, as far as really understanding our kids and accommodating them to the level that they need, that is how he got to this place emotionally. He had 11 years of feeling like he was less than, of feeling like no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't succeed, feeling like he never met people's expectations, feeling like he was totally different than all the other kids around him. That built to this level where he was like, I give up. I don't understand what the point of this is. I have tried and tried and it never works. So why am I still trying? that's where he came to. And I think that's, you know, a really valid place for someone who struggles, for someone who has this level of challenge. Um, and as a parent, I could completely freak out and say, no, you're, you're going to finish school in the traditional way. You're going to, you know, go every semester, four years in high school. You're going to take the ACT and the SAT because that's what they tell us is important. You're going to apply to colleges because that's what we're told is important. You know, you're super smart. You should have honor roll. You know, I could really go down a lot of really negative paths there just based on, you know, what we're taught as, as far as what parenting looks like and what success looks like. But I know that none of that is helpful. I have learned over time by getting to know my own child, that some of those things aren't as important. Um, I have learned that success can come in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be that very traditional path. And success doesn't have to be, you know, making tons of money. Lots of people have success and happiness who, you know, pay the bills and that's about it. Yeah, I don't make a ton of money and I feel pretty successful. <laughs> so me neither. <laughs> You know, it's about fulfillment. You know, I feel like I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm fulfilled. I'm helping people and I feel like I'm doing something good. I'm contributing to the world. And, you know, my son was struggling to feel like he had anything to contribute. We had this conversation about, look, you know, I was over 40 before I felt like I was doing something really fulfilling and meaningful. It, you know, at 16, 17, you're not going to have that yet for the most, you know, most people are not going to have that yet at that age. And it's a process and, you know, you're, you're figuring it out. You're working it out. You're trying to figure out what that might look like for you. It's hard. You know, it's hard for our kids. There's no denying that. But our job is to be a good guide. Our job is to be an empathetic, compassionate, understanding guide to where they want to go. Yeah, I agree. And, and as and part of a piece of the guide metaphor that doesn't get leaned on enough, I think, is the fact that the guide has gone there before. Mm -hmm. And to different degrees, right? Like for my kids who have ADHD, I have ADHD too. I've gone there before, but I don't have like the technology stuff that they're going to be facing because technology is different. 
some parents don't have ADHD and their kids do. So they've gone there before, but it was from a different lens and they had different experiences. But we've all gone there before. And one of the things that I, that I try to be transparent with my kids about, and I, and I don't mean this flippantly or, or harshly, but like life is full of hardship and pain and struggle. It just is. And helping our kids to see that and come as close as they can to be okay with it. Because the more okay with that you can be, the less the struggle happens or the less struggly it feels, I guess. It's still there. It's just easier to navigate. Being able to communicate that idea to our kids is, is powerful because it lets them know that things are supposed to be hard. You, it's, you're supposed to struggle. And also my dad or my mom or my uncle or my friend has also struggled and they survived it and got through it. So probably I can too. Yeah. I actually about six months ago decided that I was going to stop saying life is hard um, so that I could help to shift my mindset in that way. And so instead of saying life is hard, I say there are hard things in life. Okay. I like that. Yeah. When we say life is hard, we're saying that it kind of sucks the opportunity for joy right out of it. And I know it's semantics, but if there's anything I've learned in taking control of my mindset is that language and semantics matter. Yeah, no. They really set up the way we're thinking. And so I challenged myself. I'm going to stop saying life is hard. I'm going to start saying that some things are hard. Life is full of hard things. But then I'm, you know, mentally I'm leaving those spaces for happiness, for joy, for other stuff that isn't hard. Um, and it's totally a mental thing. It's totally, you know, playing mind games with myself, basically. But that's how I am able to really control my thoughts and control my mindset to the more positive way. Um, yeah, I, I like that because I think that I think that I occasionally fall into the trap of life is hard. I, mm -hmm. Most of the time, I think that the way, the way I leave space is I often say, like, sometimes life is hard or sometimes life yeah. sucks or so, something along those lines. Yeah. It's usually the word sometimes, but, but really drawing attention to intentionally leaving that space for the amazing and the awesome yeah. is also critical. And I do that for myself, and my kids actually make fun of me about it because um, they want to be more dark mindset negative than I am. But leaving that leaving that space open for what's awesome um, is critical, and I I like I like the way you're you're saying it that life ha life has hard things in it, and, and sometimes it feels like it's full of hard stuff, but it isn't actually full. Um, that that's awesome, and so yeah yeah you know some days there's a ton of hard stuff, you know right now the last couple of months the hard stuff has been overwhelming, truthfully and knowing that we will get to a place where that's not the case is what keeps us going forward. You know, having that hopeful, optimistic outlook is what keeps us moving forward um, and not stuck. I, a few years ago, I was researching because I, I'm very much decided that life was hard and I didn't have any control over it. And, you know, I just, it wasn't in the cards for me to have this easy, joyful life. And I came to a point where I said, okay, this is not healthy. I don't want to be this person. And started just like listening to podcasts, researching, you know, studies on happiness. I was like, I have to change this. You know, I, I was desperate because I had really sunk to that kind of pit 
and I didn't want to be there. Um, and I came across in psychology, there's um, the victim mindset versus the survivor mindset. Um, and the victim is very, this happened to me. You know, I had a kid with ADHD and autism. I couldn't control it. This happened to us. My kid struggles in school, no matter how much I advocate for him, no matter how many IEP meetings we have, this happened to us. Um, you know, everything in our house fell apart and it was thousands and thousands of dollars to fix it all, all at one time that we didn't have this happen to us, right? And when you stay there, when that's your thinking, you're stuck. There's, there's no looking forward. You think this is just where I am. It happened to me. But a survivor mindset, you're thinking, okay, this is hard, but it's going to get better. And that optimism, now you're looking forward and it physically draws you forward into a different place. And when I was able to like really latch on to this idea and say, okay, I choose not to be a victim. I'm not a victim and I'm not going to act like a victim. I do have some control and I'm going to take that control. That's when things really shifted ultimately for me personally, but also our whole family. Because now I am looking forward to joy. I'm creating more opportunities for that. I, you know, it's just a whole different way of walking through life that then has changed the energy in my family. And now, you know, that's rubbing off on others. And that was totally about me 100% and was really the one most critical thing that I have done for my son and his challenges. Awesome. And it, and it was not direct at all. You know, it wasn't medication. It wasn't reading all the books. It wasn't the therapy. It was me mm -hmm. and the way I looked at it. That's awesome. That that's commendable. That that's phenomenal. And, and I'm sure it was a lot of hard work too. And it's continued hard work. You know, it's not flipping a switch and it's not something that stays. You have to be mindful every day. Just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I do, and that really ties into it. The language that you use to describe your child and to describe their behavior is super, super important. So words like disrespectful, choosing, those have a really heavy negative connotation. Um, when you talk about how your child is disrespectful, you're almost giving them this negative character trait. You're assigning this negativity to who your child is, um, which is a very dark place to be, and it's completely ineffective. So instead, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes that I have found is, your child isn't having a hard, isn't giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. Your child isn't giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Meaning their intention isn't to be disrespectful. They're not choosing to make your life harder. You know, they're struggling in that moment. And when you think about it in that way, when you're changing the language you're using, it's changing your own mindset about what's happening. And it's setting you up to address behavior and other things in a way that is much, much, much more effective. It helps you to stay calm. It helps you to figure out how to help them in that time of struggle instead of just saying, 
basically you're being a bad person. When you say you're being disrespectful, you're being rude, you're telling your child you think they're being a bad person. Or even when you're talking about your child to another adult, a friend, you say, my kid is so disrespectful. You are defining your child in your own thoughts and mindset. And I see this constantly on social media. I have my own group for support. I moderate the Attitude Magazine group, um, support group on Facebook, and I see it multiple times a day, every day. My kid is so disrespectful. My child chooses not to do their schoolwork. And that is just such a negative way to look at it. It's not helpful in any manner. It's actually detrimental. So I always challenge parents, think about the language you're using. Choose what you're going to say. Be mindful of how you're describing something. Being mindful of who your child is and where they are right now. It makes a huge difference. And again, you know, it sounds like we're talking about semantics and, and that it doesn't really matter, but I promise it matters. It matters for your mindset and it matters for your relationship with your child and how you work with them. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.